Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a, a fairly familiar story, 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. But I'm hoping that this morning as we look at the story, we can see it from a different angle. And so I'll be reading uh, from that chapter um, various verses that I've put together uh, to give a bit of a flow for the story. So 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And he said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of Goliath, they were greatly afraid. Now David rose early in the morning and he came to the encampment of the army as the army was going out to the battle line. And David ran to the ranks and went and greeted his three brothers. And he talked with them. As he talked with them, behold, Goliath came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And David said to the men who stood by, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armour, and David strapped his sword over the armour. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. 
His sling was in his hand and he approached Goliath. And Goliath moved forward and came near to David and he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he cursed David by his gods. And Goliath said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or with a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when Goliath drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet him. And David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck Goliath in the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over Goliath with a sling and with a stone, and he struck Goliath and he killed him. It's a very powerful story, and maybe we hear that story as something that we would share with children in Sunday school, and they make a picture of Goliath and a picture of David or the stones and all the rest of it. But it's a very significant story in the development of the authority that David had in Israel and of certain principles that are available for every Christian as we face Goliaths in life. And this story comes immediately after the anointing of David as king. And so David's anointed by Samuel as king of Israel, and then he goes out to look after the sheep, and then next thing his father sends him to the front where the army's fighting the Philistines, or at least standing on opposite sides of a valley, facing the, the uh, Philistines. And so David turns up. And this story really is about the significance of the cause that we have as Christians. And there seem to be three types of people in the world. There are those who don't have a cause at all. They live without any purpose. They go to bed and they have a good night's sleep and they get up in the morning, go to work and earn money, buy some food and then they come home and they go back to bed and then they get up and then they have breakfast and they go to work and earn money and then they come home and so round and round it goes. And often there are many, many people who live life without a real sense of purpose and cause. Then there's another group who have a temporal, non-permanent cause in life. It's a sort of cause that would die with them. Once they're out of the way, well, the cause is gone. And maybe the, the verse in Mark 8.36 reflects something of this when it says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? I mean, if your cause is to have power and money and all of the things that the world offers, and that's your cause in life, the thing you really want to achieve, what does it really profit if you gain all of those things? As Alexander the Great, when he looked out, he wept because there were no more kingdoms to conquer. And that was at age 33, no more kingdoms out there. Can't, do, can't get any more, can't do any more. It dies with us. It's a temporal cause. And then there are those who have an eternal 
cause, a cause that's worth living and dying for and goes into eternity, has an impact for eternity for us and for other people. As a uh, small country town in the United States, states uh, in that town there, there's a strange group of tombstones at the cemetery. And a man called jo uh, John Davies, who's a very wealthy businessman, had erected those stones. When his wife died, he, he erected a, a large and elaborate monument to her memory. And he was so pleased with this monument to the memory of his dead wife that he ordered another one. And then he ordered another one. And in the remaining years of his life, were dedicated to this very strange cause of erecting monuments in her memory. And when he died at the age of 92, he'd spent nearly a half a million dollars erecting these tombstones. And if you go there now, you, all you see is eroding tombstones. He had a cause, but it died with him. It was temporal. And we appreciate the sentiment of wanting to remember someone that was special to you. But he got immersed in the cause that had only limited value to him and to nobody else. And when he died, the cause was gone. And now those monuments to his cause are deteriorating. Uh, Richard Branson from uh, Virgin Airlines said, every risk is worth taking as long as it's for a good cause, as long as it's for something that we really believe in and we're prepared to take a risk uh, for that cause. And the story of David and Goliath is more than just a story about David killing Goliath. It's really a story about competing causes. You know, we talk about some people are fighting for a lost cause or a lost mission. And it's a story about whether the cause that we have is powerful enough to help us to overcome all obstacles to see that cause fulfilled. And I want to look at two aspects of this story. One is Goliath's cause and David's cause. And so when we look at these two causes, we're going to look at two aspects under each of them. The end and the means. What is the ultimate goal that Goliath wanted to achieve and how did he seek to achieve that? And so what was his ultimate goal? Well, I think his ultimate goal was to steal the inheritance of God's people and therefore, thereby uh, defy God. It says a number of times in there, he's come up to God's people, he defied them and he defied God and his ultimate aim was to, to rob them of their inheritance. And the very first verse in 1 Samuel 17 says this, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Sokor, which belongs to Judah. Now, we can bypass that. It just seems to be just a simple phrase there about geography. But it's really a statement about what this battle was about. The Philistines had come into territory that belonged to Judah. And this wasn't just any sort of territory. This was God's inheritance given to Judah. And here was a foreign power coming in to steal away their inheritance, to rob them of something that God had set aside for them. And we too have an enemy, Satan, whose ultimate goal is to steal our inheritance in God. What God has given for the church. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill 
and to destroy. So what then, we could ask, what then is this inheritance that the enemy seeks to rob? And for the children of Israel, it was a a, a parcel of land, a certain uh, area of land in Canaan that the Philistines had come in and taken over. But for us, what is it that the enemy would seek to to rob from us? Well, we find in Ephesians 1.3, it says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And this is more than just eternity when we die, but this is blessings in this life that we can experience now that the enemy is progressively attacking every Christian. He doesn't just attack pastors. Everyone who stands up for the name of Jesus has a target on their back. And the enemy is seeking to destroy you and your family, to destroy me and my family, because God has given us a blessing And those blessings are not necessarily a parcel of land, though God does bless us with homes and and places to live. But think of the blessings that God gives that have an eternal aspect to them. Joy, peace, love. What would people pay to have peace in their heart? You know, the world is filled with war. It seems all the time there's, there's war out there in the world Because the real problem is that in the hearts of people, there's war in there. And so there's going to be war out there. But if we have the peace of God that passes all understanding, we can be like a still heart in the middle of a cyclone. That that central point where we stand with all of the things around us going chaotic, and yet we can have the peace of Jesus, the peace that, that can't be taken away from us. It includes those blessings. Now, that's the end result of the enemy's attack on us. But what is his means of doing it? How did Goliath seek to do that? Well, he tried to do that by immobilising God's people through fear. And so if you could visualise for a moment, there's a valley of Elah, and on one mountain was the the Philistines, on the other mountain were the, the, the children of Israel. And they were just staring at each other. For 40 days, Goliath would come out and he'd say, I defy you. Send out a man that we can fight. And the result was, and we see that in 1 Samuel 17, 11, 32, fear in the hearts of God's people. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of Goliath, they were greatly afraid. And when David actually stood before Saul, he must have seen the fear that was in the camp of the Israelites. And he said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. And so fear produced in God's people an immobility. They they couldn't move. They wouldn't move forward to the fight, but they just stood on the hill and watched to see what would happen. And so the enemy seeks to do that with us. He fills us with fear or tries to fill us with fear so that we will stop moving ahead. It might be that we stop going to church to have fellowship with God's people. We stop praying. We stop reading the Bible. We stop witnessing because somebody at one point when we tried to witness to them told us to go and jump in the lake. Whatever it might be, the enemy seeks to fill us with fear to immobilise us so that we won't reach out to take possession of the land that the enemy is seeking to take hold of. And it's interesting that the key instruction that God gave to Joshua 
as the Israelites were about to enter the land, related to fear. Because God obviously knew that the tactic of the enemy is to try and fill us with fear so that we turn and run away or we, be, we become immobilised. And in Joshua 1, 3 and 9, it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. See, the enemy wants to immobilise us. He doesn't want us to move ahead spiritually, to step out in ministry, to seek to understand more of the Word of God, to be involved in praying for our nation. He wants to immobilise us from taking hold of the inheritance of God. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be fearful, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's interesting, fear has such a... Um, an integral part of the human experience in this world, even from the very moment of sin. And Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I went and hid. And the enemy seeks to immobilise us from having an intimate, an intimate relationship with God, causing us to go and hide in the bushes or whatever it might be. And fear actually stopped God's people from entering the land when they came the first time. You remember the story? The spies were sent out and two spies came back and said, hey, look, there are big guys out there, but we can do it. But 10 of the spies came back and said, wow, they're really tall. You know, it's, this is, we can't beat them. You know, we're scared of these people. We're like grasshoppers and they're giants in the land. And so fear immobilised God's people. And so for 40 years, they had to wander around in the wilderness. And it's interesting that in the story of David and Goliath, that, that uh, Goliath comes out for 40 days. And 40 in the scriptures is usually a time, uh, an indication of temptation. Temptation that we might turn away from God. You know, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted of the devil, but he didn't give in. And God has given us an endowment to enable us to defeat the Goliaths that we face. And every one of us will face some Goliaths that will seek to produce fear in our heart in some way. 2 Timothy 1.7 said, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And so we see here in this first part of the story, Goliath's cause. This was something he was passionate about. I mean, he was passionate, you can see that, because he was prepared to put his life on the line. He said, send out your guy. If, if he kills me, then we'll be your servants. But if I kill him, you'll be our servants. So he was prepared at least to put his, his actions where his belief was, the thing that he had a cause for. He wanted to take the land that wasn't rightfully his. But if we move on now to David's cause, we can see a significant difference in, in the, the, I guess, the reality of the different causes, Goliath's cause was purely selfish and temporal. But David's cause was an eternal cause. When David arrived at the battle, he wondered why God's army had become immobilised. He was there saying, what's going on here? Why hasn't someone stood up to this guy because he's defied the armies of God and he's defied God. He couldn't understand how they'd allowed the Philistine to immobilise them. And in verse 29 of this chapter, David specifically 
brings together one of the most powerful questions that the church and Christians have to face in this world. And it's a very simple question. It's a rhetorical question from David. And he says this, is there not a cause? Just think about that for a moment. With all of the different possible options in the world that we could select, is there not a cause that the church should rise up and Christians should rise up with boldness to achieve that cause? And the interesting thing was when David came into the camp, his brother, his eldest brother, Eliab, was so mad with him when he heard him speak. And maybe there was a bit of jealousy there because the section before this was when David was anointed king and Eliab wasn't anointed king. And maybe he was saying, oh, you think you're so smug. You think you're so good, David. Why don't you go back and look after the sheep? And so he attacked David we find that when we stand up for God's cause, even amongst God's people, there will be division at times where those who won't want to do it and say, well, why don't you just keep quiet? Don't talk about fulfilling the Great Commission. Don't talk about making disciples. Don't talk about standing up against the uh, issues that are relevant in the world like abortion or euthanasia or whatever. And David comes into this context and he asks this very profound question, is there not a cause? And he's really saying to those immobilised Israelites, come on guys, surely our cause is of greater significance than the cause of Philistines who want to rob us of our inheritance in God. Come on, somebody stand up and have the passion and the guts to achieve this cause for God, to do something great for God. And when David confronts Goliath, before they even fight, he tells him, he tells him what the cause is, what God's cause is. In 1 Samuel 17, 46, the reason for what he's doing, the mission, the vision, the goal that he has, the cause that he has, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He is there to defend God's glory. His cause is the knowledge and glory of God filling the whole earth. And in Habakkuk 2.14, that's stated very explicitly. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so David's there, and before he even fights with Goliath, he's saying, well, you've got your cause. You're trying to rob us of our inheritance. But here's my cause. I come here today to fight against you for the glory of God. I come here today to fight against you that the whole earth which belongs to God, and so there's a comparison between this section of land that was the Philistines were seeking to take away from Judah, belonged to them, and the whole earth that belongs to God, and David saying, my cause, my passion, my mission is that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Now, this was a cause that was worth living for and dying for. And out of the whole nation, the challenge given by Goliath was only taken up by David because he had a, an understanding of the cause that brought him to this place. He was anointed with God's power as a king of Israel. And now the time to let 
your actions back up the commitment and the calling that God has. And so he goes out. Every risk is worth taking as long as it's for a good cause. And so David was prepared to risk it all. He was prepared to go out there, but he didn't go with fear. He went with faith. He said to this Philistine, Goliath, he said to him, today I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to take your head off you and you're going to be defeated. Your whole army's going to be defeated. But what was the means? That was the end of his cause, the thing he wanted to achieve. What was the means? We want to consider that again in 1 Samuel 17, 46 to 47. And I'll include the, the end result in this reading because they go together. He presents what he wants to achieve, how he's going to achieve it. And in 1 Samuel 17, 46 to 47, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you down that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And then he moves on to the means. And that all this assembly, all of God's people gathered together, may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. And so here we find David, he's given certain options. Saul said, you can take my armour. And so he tries on the armour and he said, well, I haven't tested this. It's just, it's too bulky and, and, and I can't use it. And so what he does is use what he has. Smooth stones, sling, staff. And he goes out to fight Goliath and Goliath says, what are you coming to me with a stick? Sticks and stones will break my bones. The words will never hurt me. And so he faces Goliath with the weapons that he has. The battle belongs to the Lord. He went with a sense of God's calling on his life, knowing that it was God who was going to do the fight. And we're not required to win the battle because the battle belongs to God. Think about the battles that we all face in life, the things that sometimes just can overwhelm us. And we think, how, how can we cope with this? And it seems to me that one of the, the, the things that is so prevalent in the world today is fear. And, and maybe it's related to the COVID thing where, you know, you hear on the news, so many people are sick and so many died and all the rest of it. And what's it promote? A fear. Well, let me tell you today something that is about faith. God is bigger than COVID. God will work all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God is bigger than all of this. The Lord does not save with a sword or spear, that is, human strength and power, the natural arm, but with divine power. Yes, we're required to step out, but we do so in God's power. And it's very interesting that David's battle with Goliath came after his anointing with the Holy Spirit to be king. And so we're called to be involved in the battles of life through prayer and through the action that God calls us to be involved in, but not without the power of the Holy Spirit, for we can't do it. We can't win anybody into the kingdom. We can't save a soul. I can't heal anybody. I can't deliver anybody from demonic spirits. It's just not something a human being can do. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. 
That's why we read in Luke 49, uh, 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so before you go out and do the mission, before you go out and face the Goliaths, you need to receive power and authority from God. It's very interesting that when the disciples were with Jesus and he sent them out, the scripture says he gave them authority and power over demons to cast them out. Because it's not something they could do in their own natural strength. But with the power of the Spirit, the gospel can be ministered to people. Souls can be saved. Lives can be transformed. And the Great Commission is exactly the same cause that David had in different words. Acts 1.8 You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and to the end of the earth. So God has a great cause and a great vision for his church that we should conquer the world. That's the inheritance that God has given that we should go and make disciples of all of the nations, but we need the power of God first in our life if we are to do that. Even to be a witness to God, we need that power. Just drawing this together, Joshua 13.1 says this, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, this is at the end of his life, they'd been in the land, they'd fought many battles, there, is, there remains yet very much land to possess. And so for us individually and as a church here at 316 and the church globally, there is still much land to be possessed. The enemy has sought to come in and rob the church of our inheritance in God. That God has given us a calling to go in his power, to fulfil his cause, to rise up like David, to take on the authorities and powers that are out there and not allow them to rob people of the blessings that God has given to them. And that's for every Christian. I think every Christian's called, not just to David, but think about the thousands that stood on the top of the hill. And the great news is that if we will rise up and do that, once David had killed his Goliath, then all of the rest of the nation rallied with him and they came down and they fought the Philistines. It only takes one. It takes one person to stand up and to move ahead into their inheritance in God, and others look on and say, yes, we can go too. The purpose of life is a life with purpose. So I'd rather die for a cause than live a life that is worthless. That's an anonymous quote. Think about this in the week to come, both in your own life, in my life, in the life of this church here, is there not a cause? Is the cause of Jesus Christ and the commission he's given, is it really worth taking a risk to launch out? To take a risk to face the Goliaths that we face, thinking, well, maybe we could be defeated. Maybe it's going to cost us money and time and friends 
I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, one of the, the first costs that impacted my life was a loss of relationships. Friends and family who said, you've gone bonkers, buddy. You believe in a God? There's no such thing as a God. And yet when we pursue the cause of God with the passion that David had, we can see the world changed. We can see those who might vilify us because we pursue that cause with a fanaticism. We'll see people's lives changed. And sometimes we look at people who are passionate about Jesus and we say they're fanatics. And I heard one preacher say, you know who a fanatical Christian is? Somebody that loves Jesus more than you do. And I thought, oh, <laughs> and that can impact us. So I encourage you this week in your own life and for, for our church here, our church family, is there not a cause that's worth us getting involved with our time and our money and our gifts and our energy in loving and supporting each other, in praying for each other, that we might see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for such a simple story, but wow, what a powerful truth is involved there. And Lord, we want to be gripped in the same way that David was gripped by your cause, your people, your land, the blessings that you give. Father, I pray for each and every one of us in the coming week that you will help us to find some small initial step that we're prepared to step out to face the Goliaths that we face, that we won't be filled with fear but we'll be filled with faith, Father God, that we'll be like David, we'll look to you and know that the battle is yours, that you've given us the power of the Spirit that we can win that battle in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.